And in this theme of family, I want to ask you this question. What is a sitcom? Have you ever watched a sitcom before? A sitcom such as like Happy Days, right? Or maybe you're familiar with Full House. Full House was one of the shows I grew up with uh, in the 90s about Danny Tanner, who's in the center, played by uh, Bob Saget, uh, who loses his wife and has to raise three girls on his own. But yet his best friend, uh, Joey, on the left, our left, their right, and his brother-in-law, Uncle Jesse, decide to move in together to raise DJ Stephanie, and I'm forgetting the youngest one. Uh, no one knows this show, okay. Uh, Michelle, Michelle, Michelle's the youngest one. So that was Full House. That's why it was called Full House. Or maybe when you think of sitcom, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air comes to mind with Will Smith, anyone? Yeah? Uh, where Will Smith would antagonize his uncle, uh, the big guy in the back, um, that's Uncle Phil, right? Or maybe you think of if maybe you're a little more seasoned than I am, which I did watch Leave it to Beaver. I love Leave it to Beaver. And then a lot of critics, even to this day, have said the number one sitcom of all time is the Brady Bunch, even to this day. And they base that on the level of impact they had on our culture and our society. And apparently that was the Brady Bunch. And so you, you know the characters really well, you know, Marsha, you know, and, and Greg and such. So this is a sitcom. A sitcom is a word put together by two words, situation comedy. Situation comedy. That was too long, so they just shortened it to sitcom. Now, why are sitcoms, why are TV shows like this so popular amongst us? Well, it's because it's all about the family. It's all about the family. Their story resonates with you and me because their story is our story. Maybe they have dysfunction. Maybe they have tears. Maybe they have joys and love. They're experiencing graduation. They're experiencing loss of mother. That's our story. And I think that's why for several years, some of these shows ran on and on and on for seven seasons, eight seasons, and so forth. Because it's all about family. The sad thing is, sometimes we hope that our family story was a comedy and not a tragedy, not a horror. I bring that up because we continue our series today, Here I Am, and we focus on a man named Jacob. And Jacob's story, his family story, it's not a sitcom, but it still resonates to you and me because it still is our story, Jacob's story. A quick recap from last week. We started this series, this five-part series, last week with Abraham's story. Here I am. So what is this series all about? Well, it's about characters in the Bible who say this, this phrase, here I am. When God calls them, 
they respond and say, here I am. And what we learned last week is that when each person responds to that call and says, here I am, they receive a blessing, a blessing that's specific to them. God calls them by name, and God gives them a blessing specific to them. Now, what was the blessing that was specific to Abraham that we learned last week? Abraham received the blessing of God will provide. He had that epiphany, remember? When he was about to sacrifice Isaac, his one and only son, God provided a a ram that was caught in the thickets. And then because of that, Abraham proclaimed that God is all good, that God is truly good, that God will provide. So if you want to experience God providing in your life, you have to show up. You have to show up. That's what here I am means. Here I am means, God, I'm showing up when you call. When you call me by name, I will show up. So here I am. And so today, we come to Jacob's story. And Jacob says, here I am. Where does he say this? In Genesis chapter 31, verse 11 through 13. You can open your Bibles there or your electronic device to Genesis chapter 31, 11 through 13. And here's what the Bible says. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. See, God is calling Jacob in this dream by name, right? I want you to remember this as we go through this five-part series. He will always call you by name. Jacob is what God says. I answered, here I am. And God said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. There's a lot of things here that seem very questionable. Like, what does this all mean? What does... Uh, streaked, speckled, and spotted flocks of goats mean? We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But what I love about this Bible verse is that this Bible verse shows us that Jacob is ready to show up. He wants to show up. He wants to say, God, here I am. What is it that you want me to do? The other thing I love about this Bible verse is that this is Jacob at the crossroads of life. What do I mean by crossroads of life? This is where his past experiences are now catching up to him in the present, and now God wants him to do something about the future. He's at the crossroads of life where God is giving him now a a choice on how to move forward. And this choice that he's now receiving here, this, this instruction from God, he's doing it with a more clear conscience than ever before. Whenever people seem to say, here I am in the Bible, it's when they go through life's experiences, when they go through the struggles and the challenges, when they see God faithful time after time after time, then that's when they can show up and say, here I am. And you know why? It's because God has proven himself to that person, to you, countless times, that you're just so inspired that you want to stand up and say, here I am. 
And when Jacob receives this call from God, he's in a place in his life where he has now seen how God has blessed him time after time after time. So to really appreciate Jacob's story, I want to look at three moments in his life. Three moments in his life. Because the Bible has a lot of things on Jacob. We could talk about him wrestling with God. We can talk about his his, uh, decision with Shechem, right? And with his sons. But for today's sake, for the message today, I want us to look at his relationship with his father Isaac. What was that like? We talked about Isaac last week, but the way we talked about Isaac was Isaac was the son in the story. This time Isaac is the father, the father to Jacob. What was that relationship? How was God involved in that relationship as well? And I also want to explore Jacob and Laban. Laban was Jacob's uncle, was the brother to Rebekah, which, which Rebekah is Jacob's mother. And I also want to look at Jacob's twin brother, Esau. What was that relationship like? Hmm. The themes that we're going to look at here in this message today, in this sermon today, are themes of division, themes of deception, themes of reconciliation. That's what we see in these, in these characters today. We're going to see deception. We're going, to see, uh, we're going to see growth. And then we're going to also see reconciliation. So let's go into Isaac's story. With Jacob and Isaac, the, the attention I want to bring you to is in verse 22 and 24, or 22 through 24 in chapter 27 of Genesis. It says here, Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize his son, Jacob, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother, Esau. Nonetheless, he blessed Jacob. But this entire time, Isaac, in the back of his mind, has some type of suspicion. Therefore, he asked this question, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob replied, I am. If you're not familiar with the story, let me give you a quick background or context. Isaac, up to this point now, is an old man. His, his faculties are failing him. His eyes, his sight is going out. He can't see his son. He can't recognize the son that's in front of him. All the while, Jacob is this young man who wanted the birthright from his brother, Esau. Because if you remember, Esau is the older brother by maybe a few seconds or maybe by a few minutes. To compare the two men, Esau grew up to be the athletic one. He's the hunter warrior, right, is how the Bible describes him. He's the one that is the life of the party, while Jacob, on the other hand, is the introvert. He'd rather be by himself. He'd rather, as the Bible says, he'd rather stay in the tent. It's a parallel story to that of Mary and Martha in the New Testament, 
right? Mary was the center of the party, and Martha was the one always preparing for the party. So that's the relationship between Esau and Jacob. And Esau being the older brother, by tradition, he has the birthright. He was going to be the heir to Isaac once Isaac passes away. Then, as you know the story, one day, Esau came home hungry from a hunt. And he smelled the stew that Jacob had prepared. And he asked his brother, can you please prepare me a bowl of stew? And Jacob, instead of just being kind and saying, sure, here's some stew, bribes his brother. Yeah, I'll give you stew if you give me your birthright. Can we be as blind as Esau sometimes? That we don't recognize the blessing that God has given us, that we're willing to give it up on a whim. That we're willing to give it up for stew. That's a blessing from God to have that birthright. And Esau gave it up. He said, sure, give me that bowl. I want to eat. I'm hungry. I'm about to die. He wasn't going to really die. So now we come to this part of the story. Because now Jacob and Esau are are both a little older, and Isaac is really old where he he, he can no longer see, and he realizes that I need to write up my directives. I need to write up my will, so to speak. I need to acknowledge Esau as my heir. And little did he know that it was Jacob that he had blessed, pronouncing his heir as Jacob and not Esau. A deception. The first point I wanted to make in today's sermon is this. Do we deceive others? And in doing so, when we deceive others, just like what Jacob did here, in reality, we deceive ourselves. We create this lie. We create this facade. We don't really lie to the person we're lying to. No, we're lying to them. They're the victim. But in essence, we're also lying to ourselves. We deceive ourselves in that lie. Yesterday, I was playing basketball with three other guys. We were playing two on two. And I was a teammate to this one black guy named Josh and his friend, uh, Zach, I think was his name, was on the other team. And then there was a fourth guy that we did not know who he was. We were all, we all met each other for the first time yesterday, except Zach and Josh knew each other already. And so we divided, divided up, Josh and I are teammates, Zach and I think his name is Ray, our teammates. And we're playing basketball. We're going hard uh, to the hoop. We're, we're, we're defending each other. And then I recognized that my teammate, Josh, was breathing hard. He was breathing so hard, he asked the rest of us to stop. He said, can we stop? I need to catch my breath. Then his friend spoke up and said, what? You're a professional athlete. You should be able to play. And so Ray and I looked at each other and we're like, eh, you're a professional athlete? You know, I mean, we're, I'm big on sports. And if I meet a pro athlete, I want to know about it, right? So like, you're a professional athlete? 
Ray beat me to the punch. He asked Josh, well, what sport do you play in? Football, Atlanta Falcons. I was a receiver for two years until injuries got to him. And then he said something that's very relevant today's, to today's message. He said something that he said, but here's the thing. I've been retired for four years. I'm lying to myself if I think I can do this. I'm lying to myself. How often do we lie to ourselves, And for what reason? That's, that's Jacob. He was lying for that birthright. He was lying for the sin of covet. To covet. To want something so bad that he was willing to, to break trust with his own dad. That's Jacob. Now, what happens next in this story? Well, I'll read it to you. Esau hears about this. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, which pretty much translates as my dad is going to die soon. And the second he dies, then I'm reading it from the Bible. I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau's angry, rightfully so. That blessing was stolen from him. And so Jacob's mother, Rebecca, hears about this and goes to Jacob and says, you need to run for your life. Get away from here for your sake. Go. And where does Jacob go? And that's where we come to Laban. Rebecca tells Jacob to go to my brother's house. Go to Laban's house, your uncle, and he will watch out for you. You can live there for as long as you need until your brother's anger subsides. And so that's what Jacob does. He runs towards Laban's household. And as he gets to Laban's household, he doesn't meet Laban first. Do you remember the Bible? Who does he meet first? He meets Rachel first. Laban's daughter, his cousin. Now remember, this is ancient years ago because the relationship between cousins were different. You could marry your cousin back then. And he falls in love with Rachel. Eventually, he meets Laban. Laban welcomes him with open arms. But then the story starts to take a turn almost quickly as well. After a month, as far as what the Bible tells us, as far as after a month of working for Laban, Laban then realizes that Jacob needs to be compensated for his work, which sounds fair. You should be compensated. Laban even said, because you're my blood, it does not mean that you should work for me for free. So he asked Jacob, what do you want as compensation? What should be your wage? And Jacob says, as opposed to giving a dollar amount, he says, I want the hand of your daughter, Rachel, in marriage. I want your daughter's hand in marriage, Rachel, the younger daughter, mind you. 
So Laban seems to agree to this if, if Jacob would agree to work for him for seven years. He signs on the dotted line. Everything seems legit until the wedding night. They have this great feast, which is to indicate that they had a wedding for Rachel and Jacob. But when honeymoon time came, the deception was there. Laban replaced Rachel with his oldest daughter, Leah. Now, how does this happen, you might ask? Well, I would assume that it was dark, number one. Number two, I would also think that maybe in this wedding celebration that Jacob maybe had a little bit too much to drink, that his faculties weren't there, just like when his father's faculties weren't there. Well, the marriage was consummated, but not with Rachel, with Leah. Turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 29, verse 25. And let's see what Jacob's reaction was. <coughs> Genesis chapter 29, verse 25 onwards. It says, when morning came, there was Leah. He was shocked to see her, right? So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you, that you have done to me? I have served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now the deceiver, remember he deceived his father. Now the deceiver has become the deceived. Why have you deceived me? And here's Laban's uh, reason. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Man. Jacob has been deceived. The deceiver has now been deceived. Erdman's Bible commentary points out that this deception had to happen for Jacob. This deception had to happen so that way he can understand his own faults, his own sin. Because this is what the sermon is all about. It's all about identity. If we're lying to ourselves, then that also means that we don't know who we are. If we're lying to ourselves, then we are saying that we don't know who God is. Because if we are lying to ourselves, then we, we're saying that we don't trust God. So I have, to, I have to do things on my own. I have to make things work on my own. I can't trust God enough. I can't work within his time frame. So the deceiver had to be deceived so that he can learn his sin. And that's what happened in the story. Who's to blame? You could say Laban. But didn't Jacob put himself in that situation anyways? When he deceived his father? When he angered his brother? Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. And now here is Jacob who has been lied to, who has been deceived. 
This reminds me of a situation I experienced at the hospital where this young nurse, I saw her crying one day in the break room and I asked her what happened. She told me that nurse, we're going to change the name, nurse Amy had yelled at her. Nurse Amy was a nurse in one of our hospitals for 30 years, a really good nurse too, well loved by her patients. And I was surprised that it was Nurse Amy that yelled at this this rookie nurse, this new nurse. And so I went to Nurse Amy to find out what happened. And she said, that nurse takes too long to to learn things. And she's making mistakes, Edry. I can't train her. So I passed her off to another nurse. A month later, we're on rounds. And it's Nurse Amy's turn for our doctor to stop by. And if you're not familiar with rounds, it's where the medical team and social workers and chaplains go from one patient room to another patient room to talk about what their, uh, what their needs are, their medical needs. And so we round and we get to nurse Amy's patient. And then after a few minutes of being there, I hear our doctor yelling at nurse Amy berating her in front of all of us. You imbecile, how can you give the wrong medication? And the doctor goes on and on. All the while, my eyes are fixed on Nurse Amy because I want to see how she's taking this. You can see her face red, embarrassed. But at the same time, I notice her jaws clenching. So she's angry but she's not about to burst in front of the doctor. So after the rounds leave, I stay behind to talk to nurse Amy. And I said, how are you doing? And she, she runs off. She said, not right now, Edre, not right now. At the end of the day, we finally get the chance to talk in the break room. Once again, like where I met the younger nurse earlier in the month, But in this break room, Nurse Amy breaks it down to me. I asked her, how is she feeling? She said, you know, at first I was angry. Then I saw myself in the shoes of the younger nurse, who I was yelling and berating just a month ago. You know what she did? The next day, she went to that younger nurse, or to that young nurse, I should have given that young nurse a name too. We'll call her Mary. She went to Nurse Mary and she apologized. She said, I am so sorry for how I treated you. Now, how did Nurse Amy get to this conclusion? It's because she experienced the very same thing that she threw at Nurse Mary. Same situation here. Jacob had to understand his deception. Jacob had to understand his sin. God wanted him to understand his fault. And so here now, he's getting ripped off by Laban. Now, the question I have to ask is, did Jacob learn his lesson? Did Jacob change his ways? I have to say, he did. There's no place in, in the part of scripture where he has this confession moment about what happened. But there is 
actions on what he does. What he does next is he works faithfully those seven years for Rachel and those seven years for Leah. That's 14 years that he faithfully works for Laban. And then not only that, he then finds out that Laban has ripping him off on his wages. And yet he still faithfully works for Laban. Why? It's because he's waiting for God. He's waiting for God to give him instruction. And if you're waiting for God to give you instruction, you know what that's called? That's called faithfulness. That's called you walking alongside God. That's what Jacob does here. So I have to believe that Jacob learned his ways. Maybe, maybe if they had mirrors back then, he would have looked at him at himself and said, wow, that is the very sin, that is the very wrong that I did to my dad. Full circle. So, Another proof that I believe he was faithful to God, that he was, that he's a man that has now truly changed his, his leaf, right? Is because what does God say in our passage, our key text? Let's look at it again. Now you might have a little bit more understanding of what all of this means. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. Jacob said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. All the wrong that Laban has been doing to you, I have seen it. Now I want you to get out of that situation, is what God is saying. Get out of this situation so you can be a blessing to others and others can be a blessing to you. He says, I am the God of Bethel where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land. How soon should I leave it? At once. Leave it at once and go back to your native land. I think God saw righteousness in, a, not Abraham, in Jacob. God saw righteousness in Jacob. Therefore, he, he said, look, I'm, I've been with you this whole time. I'm still with you. Now leave. Here's the instruction that you have been waiting for. But what I have to imagine in my mind is, how did Jacob receive that? Because if he's going to go back to his homeland, he has to meet his brother again, Esau. While Laban was ripping him off for an honest day's work, Esau, if you remember, wants him dead. But yet, here's another proof of Jacob's faithfulness. Yet, knowing the danger of going back home, he said, all right, God, you know what's best. I'm going to go back home. And if that means I have to face Esau, mano e mano, I'm going to face him. So the Bible tells us that he's making preparations. And and at this moment, this is where I'm going to ask Matt and Gabby to come up here as we're coming to the close of the sermon. So Jacob now takes this instruction with faithfulness from God. He takes this instruction and he heads back to the land that he has called home. 
He's scared, mind you. It even tells us, if you turn your Bible with me to, to Genesis chapter 32, verse 7. Genesis chapter 32, verse 7. Genesis 32, 7. I'll give you a second to turn there, to flip there or to open your app. Genesis 32, verse 7. Here is what Jacob is feeling in his heart. In what? Great fear. Not just fear, but he's saying in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people, his people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought in case Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left, may have a chance to escape. He's anticipating. He is expecting the worst. Rightfully so, because he knows he cheated his brother. The fact that he is afraid shows that he knows he cheated his brother. And he realized after 20 years of separation that Esau would have every... He would be right in attacking Jacob if he chooses to. But what happens? Here's what happens. But when Esau and him finally came together, Genesis 33, verse 4 through 5, when Esau and Jacob finally came together face to face, Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw, I love how the Bible describes that. It's just not saying he hugged him. He threw his arms. It's almost like he was running and with full force, you know, he, he, he just throws his arms around Jacob. He threw his arms around his neck and not only does he hug him, he kisses his brother on the cheek. And they wept. Why would they weep? Well, they've, they're weeping because one, they haven't seen each other for 20 years. Number two, they've been, they've had this dissension. And then number three, clearly there's forgiveness. So all of these emotions come out all at one time. And so they weep. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. And Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. So if the first point in regard to Isaac's story with Jacob is about deception and lies and how we lie to ourselves. And the second point uh, in regard to Jacob and Laban is how we need to learn the truth on how to tell the truth and how to be true to ourselves. Then the third point is reconciliation. So going back to the beginning, when God calls you by name, when you say, here I am, you will receive a blessing specific to you. What is the blessing that Jacob got? You could say many different things, but for me and for what I would like you to take home with you today is that he got the blessing of reconciliation. When you show up, when God calls you, like Abraham, he received the blessing of provision. With Jacob, he received the blessing of reconciliation. 
not only reconciliation with his brother, not only reconciliation with his family, but reconciliation, most of all, with himself and with God. I sometimes think the reason why we lie to ourselves is because we are insecure about who we are. But if you know who you are through your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then you have the truth. And anyone can say anything about you and you won't believe it because you know who you are. What did the devil do to Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness? He says, if you are the son of God, trying to cast that doubt. But Jesus knows who he was or is. He knows who he is because he's one with God because he spends time with God. He was able to rebuke Satan and say, get behind me for it is written, right? Brothers and sisters, that's the lesson I want to leave with y'all today. Be honest, to know who you are, to experience this kind of love of reconciliation where a brother wraps his arm around you and puts his lips on your cheek. That might sound disgusting, but it's not. If you want to experience that, then it's only when you show up when God calls you. I hope when God calls you, you can say, here I am.